much horror business driving late at night. Psycho 78, 12 o'clock, don't be late, I said all this horror business. Greetings and salutations, my name is Justin Moore. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. And you are listening to episode 97A of Horror Business. I like the 97A reference. That was pretty yeah. good. That was pretty good. Um, yeah, 97. We're getting close. We're creeping up on that hundo, we're man. Creeping. We're what, creeping. I feel like once we're hundo, then people need to take us very seriously as a podcast. That's how I feel. I feel that like once we hit 100, you know how like when you turn 30, you get like dad strength even if you don't have a, have a kid? Yeah. That's what's going to happen to us when we hit 100. Like suddenly we're going to be like a force. Yeah. Not that we're not a force already, but we're going to go from like we're going to be like we're going to be like Miss Marvel to fucking binary. Fuck. I was thinking more along the lines of right now we're um for people in the know, we're a demo that they should have. You know what I mean? Like yes. there's things like if you're talking to a normal person and they've never heard of the crackdown demo, that's not a surprise. But if someone wants to be the coolest of the cool and they're like, "Oh, I don't really know what that is." You're like, "Oh, okay, cool." Yeah, that no, you're great. That's great. You know what I mean? Like that's where we're at. I want to bust through to like, you know, basically Age of Coral level. Like there are normals who are like, "Oh, I love Age of Coral." You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's what I want us to be that like even casuals have to respect our name and fear it. <laughs> and the first step we're taking to becoming an, a fucking juggernaut is the episode today in which we are tackling two Fucking heavy hitters. We're talking. Gotta get the years right. 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and 1986's The Fly. And if you haven't seen these movies, I'm not going to insult you. Although I, I, I'd be justified in doing so. Stop listening right now. I mean, I will say this. I think some people have skipped. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, if they're newer horror fans who weren't exposed to it, and maybe it scares them. Like, I think there's a legend around it where it's, like, the most horrible thing that you could ever watch. Or because it's so obvious. Like, some people got into horror for the less obvious, more B-movie things. And so you just haven't made your way to what, to me, is a classic of the genre. And, you know, it's going to be hard because these are both titan films. But they're different, right? Like TCM is more generally iconic, whereas The Fly probably doesn't strike people in the same way. However, it is worth noting that The Fly is very important culturally. One, because it really proved the point that um, Cronenberg can make movies that make a fuck ton of money, you know? And sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true too. (laughs) Um, But also, it it was a cultural phenomenon. Like, I don't know. If younger people would know how impactful The Fly was for people, considering it's one of the gooeyest, grossest movies I've seen. Oh my god! Yeah, like I uh, mean, we'll, we'll we'll get there. But when this movie came out, for years afterwards, the whole like, okay, I'll I'll save what I was gonna say. No, fuck it, I'll just say it now. This movie is so fucking iconic and had such an impact on the genre. That the whole, like, be afraid, be very afraid, if you've heard that, that's from The Fly. A lot of people don't know that. That's, like, that's how that's how much of a shadow this movie casts. I, I, I'm not surprised that people don't know that, but they should know about what a 
huge event it was. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, also because, like, the original Fly, the Vincent Price film, was, like, kind of a beloved movie. And this movie just took it and... Uh, we're, we're, we're giving... You give them the first dose for free, okay? We gave them a sample. They're going to pay for the fucking main course in a little bit. I just want to say this is a horror movie where a guy throws up on someone's hand and melts it that made $60.6 million in the box office. This is a film in which a woman give, gives birth to a maggot. And it, it launched careers. Yeah, it, it really did. It really did. Okay, anyways. So just a heads up, we're going to gush a lot about these films. Um, I have said numerous times, I like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not my favorite horror film, but I do believe that it is objectively a perfect film and arguably the best horror film by any standard. Um, and The Fly is it's, it's a movie I love. It's a movie I've loved for a long time. It evokes a lot of um, powerful emotions in me. So you are going to hear a lot of um, intense discussion in this episode. Yeah, I think that's why people come here. I hope they don't come here for the ones where we're kind of bored with the movies. <laughs> yeah. So before we go any further, we would like to tell you who brought this episode to you. First off, this episode is brought to you by you. And by you, I mean our patrons on Patreon. Yay! Yay! Uh, you guys should know I have a file on my computer of five-minute clips of me talking about my favorite songs of all time. I'm going to put those on Patreon soon. I'm going to like edit them so they you know, are clipped down and all that stuff. But uh, got a lot of that. You guys are gonna you're gonna be experienced. Some shit coming your way, so just be prepared. Be afraid. Be very afraid. I want to shout um, out. I don't know. Did I shout out our new patron already? Did I do that once on an episode? Uh, you did last episode. Yeah. Who who's the new patron? Was it Jason Arch? I did. I, I that was the most recent patron. And I was like, I don't know if I actually shouted I him out on anything. Don't think you did, but I've seen that guy on like Twitter and I think Facebook. So thank you, Jason Arch. Yeah. What up? And we will. We will, when we remember to, shout out new patrons. <laughs> yes. So um, if you want to support the creeping tyranny of Cinepunks, uh, you can head to www.patreon.com backslash Cinepunks, and you can just give what you feel is appropriate, or you give, give, give what you can, or just, you know, whatever. It's, um, we do this for free. We do this because we fucking have to. We have to get this out of us. So we're not in it for the money. But running a podcast, and running an empire, you know, it, it comes at a cost. So you can either subscribe to us on Patreon or we can take over a Latin American country and subject the citizens to all kinds of weird slavery and make a ton of money off the, mm, you know, mm. local resources. And nobody wants that. We've been doing that my entire life. I don't want that anymore. I was going to say, have you been listening to Behind the Bastards? Was that a Panama I, reference? Yep, yep, yep. The Chelsea Manning yep. episode was amazing. It's really good. It's really, really good. So www.patreon.com backslash Cinepunks for more information on how to do that. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by the premier screen printing company of the greater Lehigh Valley area, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Now, Liam, I said to you, I want to get a t-shirt made that on the front said, what's the best Toby, the most, what's the most memorable Toby Hooper film? And you turn around and it says, not Poltergeist. And then there's like a like an 
anthropomorphic rat with like sunglasses and like a fucking skateboard, where would you suggest I get that T-shirt made? Yeah, I side note, I hate you, but uh, <laughs> the answer to that is Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, uh, the premier s- screen printer of the Lehigh Valley, and you know, quite possibly the world. Quite, we don't know. We don't know where Chris. We don't know who Chris does business with. We don't know what laws he's broken, national or international. I don't know what he does. I mean, he I may have, be I have a drug smuggler. Guesses. I have some yeah. guesses as to what he does. It probably involves trains and banjos and nefarious characters. Yep. Uh, counterfeit jeans. <laughs> so if you want to uh, check out some of their products, if you've got a, a band or a podcast or, a, you know, I don't know, like a podcast band gymnastics team a podcast band uh <laughs> like you like a tire collection you want to make a t-shirt about an online can, D campaign online D campaign um i don't know you do like lord of the rings cosplay whatever it is whatever fucking weird hobby you have to get you from one day to the next which i support you can head to www.xlvacx.com that's www.xlvacx.com those X's there because Chris thinks it's punk. He's uh, it's punk. Las Vegas Athletic Committee took WWE. I'll put X's in there because he's not fucking straight edge. Um, I'm like ninety percent certain that every single time he texts me, he's he's drinking spirits and alcohols. Um, don't ask for proof because I don't have any. But you know he's not straight edge. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yes, Liam. Who else is this episode brought to you by? Oh, the good people at Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, Essex Coffee Roasters, run by uh, the man Aaron Dahlbeck, who we all love, both from quality dude, both from his time in Bain as well as his brief stint in Converge and his current band Be Well. He is making this coffee for you. Here's the model at Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, please ignore Justin's quacking duck. Uh, <laughs> the the model at Essex Coffee Roasters is they get the freshest. Uh, highest quality beans, and then they roast your order when you make it so that what is sent to you is the freshest possible coffee product. Not only that, they partner with people to release specialty coffees. They released a coffee with our friends in Cross Keys. Uh, They have some other banned coffees coming up that I cannot reveal because they have not yet been announced but let's let you know trust you me you will get to support bands that you love while buying coffee from Essex Coffee Roasters and when do they you, ha- go ahead do they have a do they have a tea coming out called the Chai Halud they 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 don't <laughs> but they should um, oh I'm so funny yeah you're the funniest ever uh they did do though like I said with cross keys they also did one with darkest hour which apparently uh, people were very stoked on. So, fuck yeah! All, Have you heard Undoing Ruin? That's a fucking amazing record. Yeah, I guess so. It's not really my vibe. Here's the point. oh oh fuck off. Here's the point. Here's the point. If you go there and you want to get coffee or tea or some awesome merch, on your way out, you're gonna want to use that Cinepunks promo code to get the discount. Which is, get the ten percent. What's the fucking off. code? What's the code? C I N E P U N X. All caps. Put it in there. Spell Cinepunks in case you weren't in case you don't know how to fucking read. Yeah, <laughs> fuck. Um, and not only that, that helps us. You know, that's 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 our. We're gonna get a cut of that. That's helpful to us if you can use that. Plus, it makes us look good, and we like that too. You know. Plus, it's good coffee. Come on, go to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Check out the site. Read the story. Uh, re- you know, really 
Essex is taking the the snootiness out of fine coffee. Yeah, check them out on social media too, and listen to Be Well, Aaron's new band. They're fucking sick. I jam them all the time at work. They're so good. And check out some of the darkest hour coffee because I'm like kind of curious about it myself now. Mm-hmm. Now, now comes the time. Now comes the time in the show when, when you know, we're Liam and I are driving, and oh um, god, we stop, uh, and he helps me in my wheelchair, and I'm rolling along, and I'm. <laughs> uh, he asks me where the swimming hole is, Justin, and I say. It's down there between them two sheds. Liam! Liam! Bring my flashlight back! And then I'm horribly maimed by uh, a, a person with, a, with, a, with some sort of power tool, some sort of, some sort of chained saw, and as I'm in my wheelchair, just being fucking cut up and mangled, I'm screaming for mercy, I look over at Liam, and my last thing I ask him is, Liam, what have you done involving Har recently? I hate this one, by the way. This is a bad. That was it was, it was your Sally and I'm Franklin. Did you get that? No. Did you I, pick up on that? Yeah, I picked up on it. Okay. <sighs> I guess that's okay. I guess if I had to choose, I would rather be Sally, as long as I'm not the jerk off in the paisley shirt. Okay, so. Uh, his name's Kirk. Yeah. Do some fucking respect. I don't need to know. I don't need to know. He doesn't. He doesn't matter. How about that? I mean, I beg to differ, but go on. Mm. Uh, I did watch a movie called The Dark and the Wicked. Okay. Did you did you see this film? I did. What did you think of the dark and the wicked before I I get into it? Uh, I'm going to evoke the rule of thumper and say I wasn't nuts about it. Yeah, I mean, here's the deal. I think it is a lot of very effective imagery and a lot of uh, well-timed jump scares, unfortunately, because I have mixed feelings about jump scares. Uh, and a general vibe that there are certain things that are uncomfortable and we're going to unleash those things. Uh, what it's lacking is um, a story or uh, characters, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, it really feels like there's a bunch of shit cut out, which is the stuff that makes any of this make sense. Um, I will also say, can we put a moratorium on someone's chopping vegetables? Oh, no, they chop their fingers. I feel like I've in the last year I've seen that like four times in movies, and I'm like, okay, I'm done with it. I get it. it. I get it. Um, I think it's a very visceral film. I get why some people love it. Uh, if if this is your style of horror and you don't mind the fact that there is no explanation in this film for anything that happens, and the ending continues to say, "Oh, did you want to know something?" Sorry. Now we know this about me, and so I want to before people bring it up, I want to say something. I am not beholden to narrative. You know, for some of our listeners, narrative is king. You know, that's what they care about. They're here to tell, they care about movies because they tell a story. And they, you know, if they were to make movies, they make movies to tell a story. I am not beholden to narrative. I'm okay with films that lack narrative, but there has to be a reason for me to watch it. And so if all you've done is pile together a bunch of mild to effective scares, with no real narrative connection whatsoever, that's not like a neat abstract film. That's just a, a movie that's not very compelling. Um, again, when I was willing to invest in what I was seeing, parts of it are effectively upsetting. Yeah, it has its moments. But it's hard to be upset when you don't care about any of the people on screen. Uh, 
They don't matter. Very true. And so you're not invested in them not dying. Uh, and any movie that is supernatural, which that's not a big spoiler. This is a supernatural film. You need some sense of what's at stake and what the rules are. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want a huge info dump of the cosmology. Well, actually, this is how the devil functions in this world. But this film has nothing. It is unclear who is real, who is fake, who is bad, and why any of this is happening. It's just never. Again, I don't know that I need resolution, but I just need an attempt for some sort of like explanation of some kind. You know what I mean? Um, Or just be so batshit that I don't notice that nothing makes sense. And it certainly is not that. In fact, it is as effective as it can be at times. It's still a very traditional horror movie, only without any story. (laughs) So, I mean, I I don't want to I don't want to yuck anyone's yum because, you know, to each their own. Um, but I, I keep seeing a lot of people talking about how this is like the craziest thing they've seen in years. And again, if if if, if this movie moved you, if this if you if if, the, if you if this movie brought you some kind of joy, that's really fucking cool. And I, I I do appreciate that. I just didn't see it. I'm willing to say there are some things that if they brought you joy, I will shame you for it. But this is not that. Yeah. Okay. I think short of like, good. short of like, I don't know joining the clan or something like that like you know when it comes to consuming art like it's fine i don't know the movie the movie we saw in the theater with the magical autistic kid and the ghosts if someone oh, was darkness? like that's my favorite horror movie I, I would i would judge them a teeny bit they can live i mean to be fair my judgment means nothing but i'm, I'm not going to be chill with it this movie i really don't people who love this movie i don't think that they're wrong but for my taste i don't get the appeal because it's not a mind bender. It's not the holy mountain. It's not yeah, yeah. an abstract whatever fucking crazy nightmare fest. It's a film that has all the beats like there's a plot. And I guess there is a plot in the sense of things happen in an order. But we don't know enough about these people or why these things are happening to like be invested. So it's like you're just seeing nightmares. And like not effective enough nightmares to be moving for me. Um, but again, you know. Uh, mileage may vary i don't think it's done poorly um and part of my resentment of it is like there are times when they could really be pushing the abstraction more in this film where they do opt for a more traditional jump scare and that's never my favorite i don't hate them i'm not like anti-jump scares but i think something that's more uh unnerving is preferred to me than just oh oh it's there you know so whatever it wasn't terrible but i i I guess i'm probably also suffering from the fact that like you said a lot of people have been really hyping it up and it it didn't live up to that hype for me at all yeah i i mean i'm not gonna blame them like let me be clear i I don't think this movie was like um much like my view of the band tool it's on me for not enjoying this movie like i'm the one who doesn't get it if that makes any sense. I wanted to sing Tool at you just to like fit the vibe. And I realized the only Tool thing I can remember is the part he sings on the Rage Against the Machine song. <laughs> oh, you don't know. The, you don't know. The, you don't know the. Um, um, oh, what's the one line from the fucking the, the, like the one good song they have? Um, no idea. Uh, it's something about a stalk. It's like waiting like a stalking butler. It's a song that sounds like quicksand. Oh, you know that they song. had the vi- they had the video. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I don't like that song. Ah, it's it's good. I like it. I like it a lot. 
Okay. Mm. Uh, this isn't fucking tool time podcast, contrary to what people are saying. Well, you never know. It could be. It could it might be. Might be a better market for us. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. I'm, I, I have been watching some other horror stuff, but it's all podcast related. So I don't want to spoil anything in that sense. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I watched or even like read lately that was horror related. I think that might be it, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry there's not more. It's more, it's more than me. I, uh, the only heart, vaguely heart-related thing that I've experienced in within like since we last recorded, um, I've been on a huge Tolkien kick lately. So I've like sure. I'm like rewatching all the films. Um, when I was a kid, when I when those movies first came out, my opinions on the Nazgul were like, those things are cool. Now I watch it and it it's upsetting, <laughs> like. For whatever reason, every shot of them scares the fuck out of me. Like, like legitimate, like the, the the scene, it's in like uh, the Fellowship of the Ring when the the way it's set up, they're leading you to think that the hobbits are about to be killed by the Nazgul, and then it turns out they're like in like another hotel. When it shows the bed and it pans over, and they're that the Nazgul are just standing there with their swords drawn, that's so fucking unsettling to me now, and I don't know why. Hmm. There's just something hmm. about like the hooded, faceless ghoul that like scares the shit out of me, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just like I've 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 watched like I I'm I've watched those movies dozens of times, and I've it's never had that effect on me. But for whatever reason, this time around, I'm like, man, that's really really creepy. Yeah, I as you know, because it was not that long ago on this very podcast, I've been talking shit on the Lord of the Rings movies lately, and. It's enough shit that I probably need to like go back and rewatch them because I just I all of my memories of them have soured. And so I need to just like give it another go and see if they appeal to me again. But I, I think just like and this, you know, if it wasn't for WandaVision, this might start to uh, apply to some of the Marvel movies, too. I think my my desire for giant CGI fest is like uh, dissipating a little bit. You know, I got like you. I, I'm just I'm just being I'm just feeling less excited about them, um, which is bad timing because, you know, Kong versus Godzilla is coming and that's going to be nothing but, you know, I mean, that might as well be an animated film at this point for most of the film. And oh, my so God. Yeah. I need to just like I want to enjoy that because, I you know, I love Kong. I love Godzilla. I love where these franchises are kind of going. They, you know, both films have flaws, but I'm I'm stoked. Uh, and yet there's a part of me that's kind of like, I don't know though. I don't know. I just, I'm feeling a little disinvested from that stuff lately, but I think rather than let that opinion calcify. So I'm just pissing off people on Twitter all the time. I think I should like give them another watch, especially the extended editions. Cause you know, in my mind, the extended editions definitely change the experience of the films, but it's also like, am I going to be able to talk myself into like watching them because they're so fucking long i don't know we'll, we'll see what happens but that's that's my plan but I, I will say even now when i'm kind of frustrated with that whole experience i do remember the scary bits always being very scary and 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 saying to friends who are obsessed with those movies but didn't know anything about peter jackson like oh you should check out some other peter jackson films oh yeah you, there, you could definitely <laughs> see the, the dna of peter jackson in those films yeah 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 yeah, yeah. It, um Two other things that I watched that I did forget about and I should bring up. I finally watched Synchronic, which is 
not yeah. technically horror, but it's like adjacent. Yeah. Uh, I liked it a lot. There's a lot of uh, a lot of people I saw weren't stoked on it. Um, I liked it. I thought it was really good. I get it's a little off kilter uh, in in the plot. You know, like it, it kind of unfolds in a weird way. Um, and I do. We all remember the joke about you know if you're black you don't want to go back in time and this movie like reminds you of that um but i have seen some people say yeah but it's weird that like our man anthony is making all these sacrifices just to save these white people (laughs) it maybe isn't the context in which to comment on race is in this particular film i get that i get i get why people feel that way uh it didn't really bum me out too much it didn't distract me from what was going on and i just love anthony mackie like he's just so charming he's he really is charming. yeah and so i think that charmingness comes across in this film and, and it really sold it for me so i like it i'm excited to see what they do next I, i'm bummed that not a lot of people saw it but i guess it is what it is uh and then did i get a chance on this show to talk about saint Maud? did i talk about that already no i don't think i did either did you watch it too i did i thought it was pretty good what did you think I really liked it. Yeah. It, um, it was upsetting in a way. Like, I'll never, I'll never watch it again because it just upset me so much. But, <laughs> you know, um, that's, that's why I watch movies. I watch, I watch, I consume them so I can feel something. And this movie made me feel something. Complete and utter revulsion. But, yes. You know, that's what happens. I like, I, I mean, it's definitely a movie about, um, religious anxiety you know what i mean like it's yeah. not i think because it has such strong religious themes i think some people thought that they would go into it and there'd be like something to like ponder i don't think that it's not like that it's more about the anxiety of it all but in that sense it's so fucking effective like it oh god oh god yeah it, it made me very uncomfortable and i and i thought it was very good so um, I knew we we just didn't get a chance to talk about that yet, but that that's about it for me. I don't really have any other horror in my in yeah. my watching. So I think we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna jump right into the meat and potatoes that is Toby Hooper's magnum opus, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Massacre. What happened was true. most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in America. as real, just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. 
Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. And we are back to talk about 1974's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I don't think this film needs an introduction. Um, I think we all know what it's about. And like I said, if you haven't seen it, please turn this ep- turn this podcast off and go watch this movie ASAP. Um, it is sub- it's it's an ex- it's a moment and it's an experience. And I think that's where I'm going to start. She's the moment. Is no. What, what do you mean? What do you what? No. The film. Sorry. I know you wouldn't get the reference. It's a, it's fine. Um no, I think it is it's funny because I think it's the sort of movie that it had such a big cultural impact that for people closer to our age who aren't huge horror people, it kind of stands as just like a pull. Like how do I pull a horror movie so ridiculous with a ridiculous name that just must be over the top? And so there are some people who like haven't watched it. They just know the reference, you know, guy with a with skin mask and a chainsaw. Um what I found when I first watched this movie, you know, my exposure to Texas Chainsaw Massacre was of course the movie Summer School. And I saw Summer School before I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I just thought, well, if these guys like it, it's got to be some crazy shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's got to be some next level whatever. Um, and when I remember thinking when I finally did see it, when I say finally, but, it was, you know, I was still in high school, but in my brain it was finally, um, was how all of the exaggeration I had in my mind, all of the, like, ridiculousness of the name Texas Chainsaw Massacre didn't represent the grim fucking nightmare that this movie is. Not at all. That it actually, yeah, it it actually has, if we can be for real, way less gore than everyone thinks it does. No, that's... that's, um, Almost none. I think the only gore is it's literally when uh, Sally gets like whacked on the head at the end and you see a tiny bit of blood when Franklin gets killed. But other than that, you don't see. There's no like. I mean that that's when Leatherface falls and the chainsaw hits his leg, is the most gore effects in the film. Yes, yes, yes. I think there are other parts that are completely unsettling, and it doesn't matter that you don't see any blood. They are, in the effect they have on you, more effective than gore. But when it comes to actual makeup, literal makeup work that it, that is gore. That chainsaw leg thing is the only thing I remember where you're like, oh, ew, gross. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Everything else that's gross is gross without having to show you some effect. You know what I mean? Or I guess it is still kind of effect, but a lot of the a lot of the eerie tension comes from the set design, which is psychotic. It is next level fucked from the beginning to the end. The 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 look of this movie, um, both in the design of the sets and then, of course, in um, the unbelievable camera work of this film. And oh my how... god, it's 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 art. It's high art. I don't give it, a fuck. Oh, it's one hundred percent one of the most beautiful. Okay, when they're at the, there's a lot of things I could pick up, but this one stuck out to me specifically. And 
fans of the film are probably like, what about this? What about that? But the, one of the things that stuck out to me on, on this viewing, let's say, is uh, when they're at the house for the first time and the dude has already been taken by Leatherface and his girlfriend, girlfriend is, is walking up to the house. That shot under Dude. the bench following her. And, and I'm sure some people get distracted because they're like, oh, look, attractive lady. But you're getting distracted from what is actually one of the more well-crafted s- shots in the history I, of horror, period. I was going to bring I, – I, no joke. I was like, I want to talk about this shot because, again, like you, it struck me this time. And there has never – to me, I have never seen a more threatening shot in a film ever, yeah. ever. In which nothing happens. Well, I mean, let's talk about this the cinematic language of this film in which almost from the beginning, but certainly through the sort of heightening of things before we're really exposed to the full horror of the family, um, the audience is made to feel like we are voyeurs. In fact, yes. there are some shots in which you are so creeping on the characters, it starts to feel like, is this supposed to be a POV of one of the fuckers. Like, am I right now the weird hippie guy? You know what yeah. I mean? It, yeah. Because it, it's it's really, and it and it raises the anxiety so goddamn much that like, uh, if you really think, if you haven't seen it before, I bet you would feel this. But even as a rewatch, you're thinking, God, any fucking thing could happen to these people at any moment. I, I, I want to talk for a brief second before, um, you know, going in further into this. This film, to me, looks, and I, I can't pinpoint why, it looks like, um, it kind of reminds me of like uh, like the Patterson-Giblin Bigfoot film. Okay. In which, it, no, I'm being completely serious, in which it's like you're seeing something that shouldn't exist. Sure. Like right. you're seeing something that you're like, that's extraordinary, and, you know, whether or not the fucking Gimlin film is real, that's neither here nor there. But it also has that kind of, like, roughshod documentary look to it. Um, like, parts of it look almost amateurish, but in a way that really works. And there's there's just this... There's this voyeurism. Like you said, there's a voyeurism to it that it, it, it almost makes you feel um, culpable in what you're seeing. Like, I shouldn't be... Like, this is obscene. I shouldn't be watching this. I don't. I don't mean obscene as in like morally wrong. It feels like you're like, like it's like a peep show almost. Like a, I don't. It it just it feels like, it feels like you're witnessing something transgressive. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like something that like wasn't meant to be seen. Uh, like it 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 feels. I, I don't. It feels like we're witnessing a fucking like a, a murder spree. They really. I mean, it's just. This movie will never not make me upset, especially like the dinner table scene. Like part of me is watching this and, and like I know it's a film. I know it's fake, but like part of me is of part of me is saying like they actually tied was it Marilyn Burns? They're actually like psychologically torturing her right now. Like there's no way they're not doing it. It's so upsetting. It's it's, it's, it's unbelievably upsetting. I, I, and like it just it 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 triggers this like deep sense of empathy and sympathy where it's like you know like they say like human beings are programmed not to kill each other like because it's like that's like an evolutionary thing where like if we didn't suppress that urge we would just go extinct like this film grabs you by that urge and it's just like you have to do something to stop this like there's like this really primitive part of you that is like 
I sh- I shouldn't be fucking. I I'm I'm complicit right now in the fucking mayhem I'm seeing on screen. It's it's such. It, it, I don't. It, there's just nothing like it. There's there's well, there's no film out there that comes close to this. It's this is a great example of how horror can have. It's not just horror. All film can do this, but horror in a very specific way can have deep implications and deep philosophical implications that are a kind of politics without ever being political. Like one of the arguments you can make about this movie is, is this an apolitical film, right? But in a real way, it's not at all because it is so tied into questions about like humanity. Like how did these people become this way? And my favorite of that is, and I, you know, forgive me for forgetting the names, but the, the shopkeeper guy, the guy he keeps referring to is just a cook. You know yeah, what I mean? I think it's Drayton. Or he's Drayton in, in part two. The the idea, right, that he is getting a sick pleasure from the cruelty and the violence of this thing, but he himself, of course, is above such things. He's above killing. He he just couldn't he couldn't see bringing himself to do it. This is the same guy that's poking her with the stick in the fucking oh my car. God. In the car, and he's like, he's, he's literally saying like, oh, everything's gonna be okay. You just calm down now. <laughs> and then like. I mean, like I, I, I just, I just think that 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 we, uh, again, I'm not, I'm not saying there's an agenda here, but if you see the cruelty of these people and it doesn't remind you, right, of the perverted desires of many of our fellow Americans today, who seem to be motivated purely by a like a, a resentment and wanting to make some people they don't like suffer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm watching it thinking, like, this isn't about what we would think of as the most basic form of politics, but I actually think in the view it gives of people, it is a lens with which I would like to view the, our situation as a culture, uh, both then and now. You know, and it's there's just something so angry about the film, even as the film is like beautiful, it is so harsh and so like just tough you know what i mean yeah i mean it's 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 a absolutely um it's 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 merciless right um and what something you said it's sort of uh i'll just call him drayton swear because that's what he that's what they call him in the second one um his whole thing of like i can't stand and make make something suffer i don't like to see something get killed but it's like a Yes, you can. Like you are, at the very least, indifferent to to suffering, which is bad. Um, and the whole idea of like getting a getting a sense of pleasure from killing, but not wanting to actually kill something yourself, that sort of like speaks to like the banality of evil. Right. Um, because not only is that sort of how like Adolf Eichmann was was like, I don't need to hear about all the Jews dying. I just need them dead. I don't want to hear about it. I don't, I don't want to see. I don't want to know. I just. I, they just get him, kill him, kill him. That's also what Jeffrey Dahmer told cops about why he like would would drug these people is because he wanted to get blackout drunk so he couldn't remember the murdering. Like he needed to get to the bodies, but he just didn't like to make people suffer and didn't want to didn't want to kill them. That's literally what the cook says in this movie. Like he's like, I can't stand to see something suffer. I don't see a point in it. It's I, like, and it's, I, I, this to me is in in its 
dealing with human cruelty and human indifference to suffering is at an angle. Like I always say this to people that horror helps us look at things at an angle. And what I mean to that is sometimes looking at something directly, we don't actually see it. It obscures it. You know, if I was going to think about that theologically, you know, it's like Abraham seeing or or whoever it was, I fucking forget, seeing God from behind because he couldn't like look at him directly. So he basically looks at God's ass. You know what I mean? Um, but I think in a, in a more philosophical way, it's like that there are things that are so difficult or complicated or probably more like traumatic that we can't look at them directly. We have to come at them sideways, you know, in yeah. a way, this movie and how it very directly displays this kind of human cruelty and the and the hypocrisy of it all. Right. It allows us to indirectly think about everything from veganism to to anti-war. Like, if you were to tell me, if someone was to watch this movie and go, I think this movie might be about meat. I'm like, yeah, it might be. And if someone no, watched this I've... movie and say, this movie might be about Vietnam, I'd be like, that's also true. You know what I mean? Like, it's 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 clearly about what it's it is, but to it has all of these implications for anything related to questions about human indifference to suffering. And and that's demonstrated so perfectly when they're in the van. And no one wants to hear about the dead cows. No one wants to hear about the dead cows. Yeah. And yet they all want to eat beef. And it's such a perfect way to understand the rest of the movie, in my mind. No, I mean, you're not wrong. This movie, I've, I've, I've seen, like, I know people who use this film as, like, an allegory for for going vegan it's like how can you um it's like if people being treated like this revolts you if that makes you sick to your stomach like why would you want to inflict that on any being and that's happening right now and as a vegan i watch this movie and i go yep that's that's how i feel um and i don't want to i'm not trying to like talk down on anybody but it's it's the truth. You know, I, I, I watch this movie and this is a family that comes from slaughterhouse workers. Right. Like right. grandpa is literally the greatest. Like they're like, he's the best. He killed 16 in five minutes and he would have done it more if they could have moved him along faster. Like this is a family that is that is tied into industrialized killing. Um, and I don't think it's a far stretch to say that the skills that grandpa and probably the fucking uh crazy hitchhiker um because i'm sure he might have had something to do with it like that detachment from seeing and causing suffering and removing yourself from that and shutting off your humanity your humanity towards the suffering of something else they just switch that over to people for whatever reason you know we don't need to know why it's just this horrifying thing in the past, like whatever, they became cannibals at some point. Um, that's where that comes from, is that indifference to suffering is now just, it's just, it's on people now. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I, the other thing I wanted to say about this that I think is is worth mentioning is that I think people sometimes very much enjoy when something that is iconic doesn't live up to the hype. You know what I mean? There's yeah. a certain kind of iconoclastic, like, yeah. You know, it's kind of like, uh, to be quite fair, it's how we talk about the Beatles. That we're the sort <laughs> of people who are like, I know everyone loves the Beatles, and everyone in music loves the Beatles, but guess what? Fuck the Beatles. And it feels so... This is one of those things that I'm sure there are people who poo-poo it, who are like, it's not as good as it made out to be. 
for me, Justin, I am less inclined to be that person. I'm more inclined to be, or I'm less inclined to be someone who is invested in these things. I am sometimes inclined to be the iconoclastic person. And so part of the reason I find a film like this so satisfying is because it surpasses what I've been told in my mind. It yes. surpasses the icon because the it's almost like in what it really is, it can't exist in the culture because the culture wants to boil down to a big fat guy with a chainsaw and a girl screaming. And that's the whole movie. And it's like, if only that would have no, that wouldn't live in my nightmares. That would not follow me. I would not think about it later. This film is so much more than that. It, it, in a sense, when she's running away from him towards the end of the film, even though you don't know, I mean, legitimately, if you haven't seen this film before, you don't know what's going to happen. No. I, I, no part of me knew that she was going to live the first time I watched this movie. And it's only, I, I think now because of mean culture, people might know because they've seen the image. But even then, it's hard to believe, like, well, how is she going to live? Because it doesn't seem like she's going to get away from this. But all that to say, when she's running away, that's a relief. Because the fucking torture of it is what's when she's at the table and they're laughing oh. at her and they're mocking her and then when grandpa's trying to hit her with the hand all of that is far worse even than the anxiety that they might catch her it's insane it's unbelievable it, it, it it's uh, the, the amount of tension that they're able to build in this film that is not a slow it, this has all of the anxiety that i normally associate with a slow burn and it is not a slow burn at all no 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 this this movie goes from like, I mean, it starts it starts out um, somewhat restrained. Like even the hitchhiker. Yeah, the hitchhiker no, scene, I would say it doesn't because it starts out with fucking rotting flesh okay. and telling <laughs> you that this shit really happened. So yeah, it oh, actually starts out like fuck you, audience, and then it goes from there to a slight respite before it gets fucked yeah. up again. So there's like, there's like the hitchhiker scene, which is uh, like as someone who's line of work brings them into contact with um, neurologically atypical individuals semi-regularly, I can tell you that very little in life frightens me more than being in the presence of someone that you don't know what they're going to do next. Right. And I think that every fucking time I watch this movie that like these people have no idea what this guy is going to do and there's nothing scarier than that. Um. But it's like you want to like this movie goes from like there's these moments of like these like lull not lulls because they're not like there's like there's nothing happening. But it's like this movie it, like comes in like pulses like there's the hitchhiker scene. You're like, wow, that was a fucking nightmare. And then there's that fucking the scene where the guy in the Paisley shirt. It's that iconic scene where he's like goes in the house and fucking Leatherface is there and he cracks him over the head with the hammer. No, there's that wasn't that. that. He's not the first one. The first one is the guy not in a Paisley shirt. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, her boyfriend's the guy in the Paisley shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paisley shirt okay. guy is is my. Uh, well, we'll get into this in a sec. Yeah. I, I, so, there, but there's there's these like beats in this where this all this like it's like lol terrifying moment, lol terrifying moment, and the rhythm of it it kind of sets you up where you're like, just when you think you're like, okay, I I I I have a grasp on what this movie is doing. And I think I could handle it. We get the scene where Leatherface pops up in the woods and kills Franklin. And for the rest of the film, for the next like what is like forty minutes or so, it is an unrelenting fucking war on your senses. I mean that chase scene where Leatherface is chasing Sally around 
and there's that constant drone of the chainsaw and it's just like it gets to you it's this really like almost insectile noise that it's so animalistic that it, it it just makes you feel in danger and it like i said and then it just it keeps fucking going you know after that is when you know drayton gets her and the the scene at the dinner table that like the thing this time like watching this that struck me that really got under my skin and and just like kind of made me like the one detail that hit me was when she's addressing Drayton and she's like sobbing and she goes, you can stop this. And then the hitchhiker looks at her and goes, no, he can't. And it's like, fuck, like there's no hierarchy there. There's just chaos. Right. And yes, yes. I, there's just something that's so fucking frightening about that. Because there's 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 nothing like I keep saying this and I sound like a broken record, but there really is nothing like this movie out there. There's I mean even Texas Chainsaw Two fails to capture just the lunacy that this movie shoves your faces in. Oh my god! I okay, so it's time to do my one hot take. You ready? Let's give me. I, I got my asbestos gloves on. Hit me. I think that we as a horror community have been too hard on Franklin. Uh, I actually had the same thought. I was watching it, and I was like, I get that he can be annoying, but A, if you take into account that some of the response to this weird hitchhiker guy is not just that he's unmoored, it's also vaguely classist. Like, it's vaguely like, look at this weirdo. You know what I mean? And Franklin is the only one that's like, hey, you're a human. I'm a human. Let's relate as humans. Now... Was that a good call with this particular character? No, it was not. But it doesn't change the fact that Franklin's the only one who like sees this guy uh, yeah. as a as a person. Second, the other t- if if you just want to go, okay, who are men in this movie who I'm supposed to relate to as people? Well, the other two dudes in the van just don't fucking exist. They are no. meat to be slaughtered. Yep. And I would even say Paisley guy is kind of a dick. I don't like him. The only other man I relate to in this movie is drunk man at the graveyard who's like, no one ever listens to me. <laughs> I was like, well, that's relatable, actually. Oh, uh, I also relate to the truck driver at the end. Yeah, sure, sure, that sure. That guy? He throws, he throws actually, his wrench and then he just runs away. Yeah, I stand our blue-collar king. Yeah. No, 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 that's true. I, I will say, in fact, the... If, if we need a male hero of the movie, it's Truck Driver it's with the Wrench. Which, yes. by the way, all he does is not is not kill another person after he runs over the one guy. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know what you know what I'm saying? And, that, and that's fine. I don't need a relatable male character. But I bring it up not to say there needs to be a relatable male character. But all, every time I've had a conversation about this movie, everyone is quick to say that they're suffering through Franklin. Franklin is a burden on them. And I'm like, well... A, let's name that that's a very good performance by this actor, that he's, he's oh, yeah. actually fucking killing it. But B, um, everyone's being a dick to him. He's in a fucking wheelchair. Like, the fact that they like they stopped the van at this place where clearly you can't push a wheelchair around, and they just go, all right, see you later, buddy. We're going to go in the house and possibly engage in dirty coitus? I don't think that happens, but it's kind of like it could have happened. And... uh 
that's not cool, y'all. Like, that's actually no. fucked, you know? Also, let's put ourselves in Franklin's shoes for a second. Yes. He rightfully thinks people are trying to kill him. And he's also in a wheelchair. He has every right to be terrified yes. out of his fucking yes. mind. Yes. Like, he's, he's not at all. I, like, when he's like, we need to get out of here, Sally. We need to leave. Like, he's nagging her, but I would be doing the exact same fucking thing in that situation. I mean, I guess you could relate him in some ways to a Punisher because he talks about stuff that people don't want to talk about. But what's so funny to me is half the people who've told me they hate Franklin, that is you, man. Like, that is you. <laughs> you He is you. He is your yeah. fucking avatar in this movie. So embrace it. Especially because, like, um, he adds a little bit of character, and he's like... To me, it's more honest that he's like, yo, like, it's interesting that this is what happens to the beef. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that scene is so telling to me. Like, he's like, yeah, it's fucking gross. And I'm very interested in it, you know, and I want to know about it. Whereas everyone else is like, oh, that sucks. Let's talk about astrology. Fuck you. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I just, no, don't be wrong. I'm not saying that makes him completely unannoying. His role is to be a bit. Uh, shrill like that's what is written and he does it well but the idea that like i've had people say to me that like part of the reason they don't or maybe not the reason they don't love the movie they still love the movie but he's an aspect of the movie they don't love i'm i I don't know i he he's more present to me him and sally are the only ones that are present in the movie like the the guy the you know paisley guy is just paisley guy the other dude is literally not paisley guy and then the other girlfriend is just astrology girl you know they don't make an impact on you really only franklin and sally exist in this movie and franklin is so tragic like show him a little compassion when you're talking about this fucking movie i support every i I will hard cosign on every word you just spoke um i want to touch upon a weird element of this movie that like has kind of plagued me for years sure so you know how like, okay, when you think about Hellraiser, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Pinhead. Exactly. When you watch the first Hellraiser, though, it's not really about Pinhead. No, the bad guy is the lady. Yeah. Well, no, it's Uncle Frank. The second one, the bad guy is the lady. Oh, you're right. That's right. Yeah. She's still pretty. Is, she's still not great, though. No, no, no. She's all, she's a nightmare person. But like, that's kind of how I feel about this movie. Is that like when people think, when normies think of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they go right away to Leatherface. And a mewling child that is easily ruled by a decrepit old man. Like, yes. the whole time he shows up, he just berates Leatherface and looks for excuses to make Leatherface feel bad, to, to further complicate the family dynamic. And, and most of the horrific shit that happens in this movie. Leatherface doesn't do. And if he does do it, he is not culpable for his actions. I mean, he he does kill those he does kill the people who come in the house. Yeah, but as someone pointed out, if you if you watch this movie, his reaction is is fear. Like he is afraid of these fucking people who who came in his house. Because after he after he kills the one girl, he's like sitting there, and it's the the shot like close up of his face where he's just like clearly agitated. Um, it, it, it like my my whole point is that like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not about Leatherface. You know, in, in, in the fifty 
almost 50 years this movie has come out, he's kind of become the mascot for these movies. And I think like some of the, the, the sequels are responsible for that. But I, what gets lost a lot of the time in the conversations about this film is that like Leatherface is more a puppet than he is a villain. Even like part two is a fucking fever dream, but part two at least had the, 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 the common sense to like to kind of highlight that. Like Leatherface was just this sort of like goon for Chop Top and, and, and Drayton. And in this movie, he's just kind of, he's just there for their, whatever role needs to be, like literally he has different faces he puts on when he's in it. Like when he's the butcher, he's wearing like a butcher's outfit. There's one scene that doesn't often get talked about where he's dressed like an old woman uh, and, and is making these like weird hooting sounds, which is a, 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 an insane level of frightening. Here's, um, here's where I, I agree with what you're saying. However, here's where I will disagree. Because it's not just like he's a big scary guy with chainsaws, so he stands out more, right? The film ends up making it a little bit about him because the ending of this movie is, in my mind, the most iconic ending in all of horror, period, end of conversation. You know what I mean? And because I'll, I'll agree to that, yeah. And because of that, he ends up feeling like the mascot of the movie. You know, you know what yes. I'm saying? Now, I think when you look at the actual plot, no, I mean, if, if those idiots didn't ever wander into his fucking home, they'd still be goddamn alive as far as I'm concerned. Are you victim blaming right now? Because if yeah. you are, this is the one time where it's okay to do that. Yeah, they literally put themselves in this position. You know what I mean? And 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 it's not just in that situation. There are multiple situations where they put themselves. Now, granted, it's like a Venus flytrap thing. Like, he, he was going to kill. They were going to get it, it. Any sense in which we could totally victim blame is taken away by the fact that they have a fuck ton of cars under, under a tarp. So that lets you oh, know yeah. they've done this shit before. But they didn't have to work very hard to trick these particular hippies into their trap because these folks are just wandering. When he wanders into the house, I'm just like, well, he's got to die now. I mean, there's just no way, you know what yeah. I mean? And I, I, I've, I've often thought about it. Like, am I coming at it from like a post Texas chainsaw, like mentality? Like why the fuck would you go in an abandoned farmhouse in the middle, in the middle of like nowhere? Like, what are you fucking high right now? Probably was under the influence of a drug, but it's also like, why the fuck would you do that? Like, it, it, it's not even like an innocent, charming farmhouse. Like, there are fucking bones. Every, there's, like, turtle shells hung up and animal bones everywhere. And there's that, like, weird... There's, like... An, there's like there, there are animals in the house. I'm not imagining that, right? There's, like, a chicken in a cage. Yeah, and I, I think I a pig so, in there yes, somewhere. Yes. Uh, there's a room that feels like it's full of chicken feathers, too. It's so disgusting. Yeah. What a movie. It's it's amazing. If if for some reason you're listening to this and you really haven't seen it, you you must watch it. it, it it's it's a must watch film. And you know maybe it won't impress you as much as it does us. Like that's always a possibility. But it's it's so important to the history of this genre. And I, and to me, it's such a magic trick. There were so many barriers between. Toby Hooper and getting this movie made. So many weird mob money issues and people who had to be in the movie regardless and crazy heat and no, you know, not enough budget to cover the expenses. And the whole thing sounds like a fucking disaster. And yet it exists. It exists. And yeah, it's magical. No, it's, I mean, it really is like Dr. Manhattan talking to uh 
Silk Spectre about like the odds of me meeting you or the odds of air turning to gold. And here we are. It's like the odds of this movie being not just like phenomenal, but the odds of this film existing because like you, you had just said like they were, there was, it's confirmed that there was like mob money being laundered in this movie. Like Toby Hooper wasn't like a knowing participant, but the studio was, um, I, I, and it's it just like, you know, you hear the stories about the production where like they had like rotting meat lying out and like the actors were like genuinely not into it. Um, especially like the guy who played, I think it was the guy who played Franklin was just like, I don't even know why I'm putting myself through this. Like no one's going to see this movie. Like there's no point in like endearing this like fucking nightmare of a production because this, this is going to be like driving schlock. And it just it it just is so much it's just such a transcendental film um, that came from the fucking muck and mire uh, of Toby Hooper. Just shout out gloriously from Toby Hooper. <laughs> I mean, don't be wrong; it's no life force, but still, it's really good. <laughs> no, but you know what? Chris rejects a fucking jerk off. And what is life force? Am I right? Why did that come to Chris Reject? Did he say something about Life Force? Yeah, on Twitter. You didn't he he said something about it and I like was straight up like you have bad taste in film. What did he say? Like what did this. he say? He just said he was like, Oh, it's just English people being weird. It's stupid. I was like Man. Well, Chris is a religious listener to this show, so I won't say anything mean except for actually fuck you, Chris. Yeah. Eat shit. Oh no, I don't know if I'll go that far. Anyways, no, I love, uh, Chris. I love Chris. We love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You should watch it if you haven't. If you have watched it, let us know like what is still visceral for you. Uh, hit us up on the socials. Let us know what are the parts that still fuck with you now, having watched it many times. And also let us know if you've been to the house where they filmed it and had food because apparently it's like a diner now. Yeah, it's like a bed and breakfast. Isn't yeah, it? something like that. That sounds cool. I want to go there. Let's go there. Let's go there when. When the world opens up again. Sure. Sounds good. Road trip. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And we come back. We're going to talk about 1986's uh, anti-horniness. I don't agree. I don't agree. (laughs) I know. I'm fucking with you. Uh, 1986's body horror fucking masterpiece by celebrated lunatic David Cronenberg, The Fly. We'll be right back. (laughs) I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit, even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. Those weird hairs that were growing out of your back, I had them analyzed. But they were definitely not human. If you saw how scared and angry and desperate he is... I'm sure Typhoid Mary was a very nice person, too, when you saw her socially. No! You're afraid to be destroyed and recreated, aren't you? You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. Oh, no. What's happening to me? Am I dying? 
I want to know what's going on. What does the disease want? Wants to turn me into something else. Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Don't go back to it. Could be contagious. Uh, I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Talk about 1986's body horror sci-fi horror film, The Fly, directed by David Cronenberg, written by David Cronenberg and some guy, you know, whatever. Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, David Cronenberg himself, and I think I want to say Stan Winston did the effects, because this looks like a Stan Winston movie. No, makeup effects by Chris Wallace, who actually directed the second one. Um, so kudos to him. Um, so I'm going to relate a brief anecdote to you guys real quick. When I was a child... I was maybe six or seven years old. And I was telling my dad this story. And of course, my dad's like, I don't remember that, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. Um, we were at my grandfather's for some holiday event. Like, it was like Christmas or Easter or something like that. Um, they were my, my paps, like Pappy Daly. And my dad and my grandfather were watching The Fly 2. And it was the very end of the movie. Um, and all I remember is the fucking, um, there's a scene where a character, I won't say who, cause I, you know, I, I like the fly too. Um, there's a scene where a character who has been through the telepods and has been just utterly decimated by this thing. He comes crawling out of this pit, out of a pipe. He comes crawling out and he's like crawling towards the camera and it, it, right in front of the camera is like a bowl of like actual shit I'm assuming that he eats now and he's like trying to eat it and his eye is like focused on the rim of the bowl and then it focus the, the camera focuses in on that and there's a fly on the edge of the bowl credits go and I remember seeing this as a child and being unbelievably afraid like what am I watching what is this and I was like dad what the fuck is this and he's like oh it's the fly and I was like, well, what happened? Like, how how did he get like that? My dad gave me like a rough, you know, oh, he went in the telepod and this happened. Um, but that was my first exposure to the, the, the franchise of The Fly. It wasn't Vincent Price. It wasn't The Misfits, unfortunately, even though that's Return of the Fly is a great song. It wasn't the really cool Simpsons Treehouse of Horror special that they did based on The Fly. It was this weird, once in a fucking weird moment, probably Christmas night, that my father and my grandfather were watching The Fly 2 for some reason, and I just happened to see that scene. Um, and I don't know. It just been one of those things that stuck with me. Like, it, did that shape me as a horror fan? It's possible. Did it, did it bend me as a human being into something, like, not quite right? Also possible. Um, what was your first exposure to The Fly? That's a really good question. I know I saw it pretty young. I know I didn't see it, though, before I saw Night Run Elm Street because that shaped me. But did I see it in relative, you know, closeness to when it came out? 
Maybe, maybe like around 1990, maybe some sometime. Like I was definitely too young to watch something this fucked. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, it might even have been my first Cronenberg. Now that I'm thinking about it, I know for a fact it was mine. It's hard to say because I definitely saw a uh, dark half. Right? No, not dark half. What's the one I'm thinking of? Uh, the Dead Zone? Dead Zone. I saw Dead Zone surprisingly young. And so much so that when I found out later it, that was a Cronenberg movie, I was like, oh, really? Because it was so formative for me. Uh, it was something I watched a lot of. Um, but I didn't know that was him. Uh, yeah, I think The Fly might have been my first Cronenberg. Followed upsettingly quickly by Videodrome, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, like, it's... It's a movie that I knew there was the the older version of. And in fact, I saw the older version first and thought it was corny. It was like a, I, I don't know this for sure, but I think it was a, my mom's boyfriend, now my stepdad, uh, was trying to like relate and might have recommended the original one. And then I don't think he showed me it, but sometime with my mom, I think I rented it and then watched it alone. It was like, oh, fuck. This is a whole other thing. <laughs> um, just next level upsetting. Uh, and I remember loving it, but also not returning to it a lot because the level of gooiness was beyond what I was used to in more of the like slashery horror films I was familiar with at that point. It's a little much. <laughs> it's, it's a little so, much. But I, it is, and it's not at the same time to me. It is like I'm watching it going, I can't believe they put this in a movie that people went to go see, generally speaking. But then also, I love it. Like, I don't, I'm not, at no point am I like, that was a bad idea. I'm like, yes, push it, David, push it. Um, go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say, what's, what, what, what's funny about this is like, Cronenberg is obviously known for like a lot of like the weird, gushy. Right, right. You know, like, but there's like, this movie has, um, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's like, okay, so you know how like, like all Clive Barker stories, they're like, there's a character named like, Mister Duchard who does magic by like jerking off in his hand and like summoning a demon, and the demon's name is like, Lucidique, and then like David Lynch has like, the man in the tan suit went to his favorite jazz bar, the Elbow, like, I, I did. He, he, like those are like things like visual and like aesthetic styles that those guys have. Cronenberg has that like, um, it's like in the brute. This is a really difficult thing to pin down, but but it's something that like I it, it I've I've really dwelt on, dwelt dwelled on, dwelt upon. Like in the brood, he has like the psychoplasmics, uh, the the concept of psychoplasmics in um. Dead Ringers, he he always they, you know like we have to synchronize our we have to synchronize our our personalities. The twins have to synchronize everything. Like he speaks like that weird kid in elementary school who would just say like random strange shit, and would like be like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And like in this movie, the telepods. Like I I know I am making little to no sense right now, and that's fine. I'm comfortable with it. I accept who I am. So should you. It's. <laughs> It's the way he like comes up with like imaginary technology and concepts that is this movie is like ripe with like everything that makes David Cronenberg a great director. This movie has it all and it's not just like the ushi gushi 
weird shit. It's also like the, um, like like I said, like the telepods and how he's like, there's like that name for it. And that's a very Cronenbergian name. And then, you know, I was talking on Twitter about how he's obsessed with the flesh and understanding the flesh, which kind of ties in with a lot of the weird, gushy imagery. But um, like Jeff Goldblum is constantly shouting about understanding the flesh and not understanding the flesh and the plasma pool and like all this stuff. And it has, it's this perfect blend of like all great things about David Cronenberg um, are all present in this, in this movie. Yeah. I think um, I'm trying to think of how to articulate what I think you're reaching for, which is that um, when Cronenberg does sci-fi, like, so, okay. A basic idea of what science fiction is, is you take a, some scientific uh, innovation and you explain how it changes the human experience. And for yeah. a lot of authors, that's positively. And for some authors, that's negatively. You know, Somehow Cronenberg manages to take that very simple structure. But A, whatever the innovation is, it's some psychotic shit from his brain. It's not like... Yeah a flying car or clean fuel. It's something that he's come up with. And then B, every Cronenberg movie puts forward the idea that this thing is both of the options, that whatever it is, is maybe bad and good at the same time. And it's really like the audience to discern what's going on. You know what I mean? And so with this movie, I mean, it's so telling Everything that Jeff Goldblum is going through when he first is contaminated with the fly is the sort of shit people in the 80s were getting into when they were discovering like probiotics and yoga and cocaine. You know, there's this feeling of like, I am an uber man. I've cleansed myself. I'm on this next level. When you've actually deeply corrupted yourself, You've, you've deeply hurt yourself and then it's this feeling of what am i willing to sacrifice to not fix it he's not trying to cure himself he's just trying to get back to some level of normal right yeah but and and this is the thing you know jokingly uh uh y'all justin described this movie as anti-horny um (laughs) but i do think like uh it is very telling uh the idea that Cronenberg is not I don't think he's anti-sex I think there's sexiness in, in all of his films but there is a feeling that sex is not a neutral thing it is not no. a uh, guaranteed good that is a source as anything in life for transgression and whatever and that flesh uh, you know the, the limitations of flesh is part of the themes that he's exploring and so I think in this movie, I mean, you asked a very interesting question to me, not on the show, but uh, just this sort of idea of like, uh, maybe you even said this on Twitter, but the idea that like, uh, it, in some sense, just in going through the pod, is he even himself anymore? Oh, no. Yeah, no. I, uh, yeah, we can. It, it's uh, I, it's a uh, the guys. I think it's Derek Parfit or Daniel Parfit. Uh, he proposed a thought experiment i read about this in undergrad where it was like let's say there's a machine that teleports you to mars but what it actually does is you step into a machine it scans your body scans your consciousness scans all your memories beams out to mars and then they create a it's it's put into a new body but then your old body is destroyed are you on mars right now and it's 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 i mean it's meant to talk about like the body like uh, mind versus matter and the body soul 
concept. But in this film, it kind of does. That's kind of like a focal point because he at one point refers to the pods as disintegrators. And right. he talks yes. about how what these things do is they break something down and then they recreate what they think it is. And that's the problem with recreating living tissue is because it doesn't understand the flesh. So it is worth dissecting. Is the Seth Brun- you know, is, is Seth Brundle that stepped out of the pod, is he, is he quantitatively the same being that stepped into the other one or is he just a qualitatively identical being? Well, I think what you're getting at is actually uh, from a from a different angle. Also, what I suspect is Cronenberg's writing process. Like, I feel like he starts with that question and then goes, "Now, how do I make that fucked? How do I fuck that up?" <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, in the in the uh, in the commentary on Videodrome, he talks about how much of Videodrome is influenced by this theorist of media, but nothing from this theorist of media involves like fucking your TV. It's more just this question of the function of the medium, but that's where he starts. And then he makes it his, I wouldn't be surprised if this movie started with this, maybe not this exact question, but this sort of question of like, if this teleporter exists, are you, you, and then, you know, you go from there. Now, of course, it's a remake, so it's influenced by the original thing, but his take on it is, partly influenced by this question and i think the movie a lot of times we focus on brundle or more specifically brundle fly right but part of the heart of this movie isn't brundle fly right it is the unknown in gina davis's womb that's like oh my god a huge part of what this movie is and i don't think sometimes when we're talking about the movie the gore and the goop and the blech of of Jeff Goldblum, what he becomes, is such a, a, a sideshow, and it's so awesome and important. We forget that, like, part of what's really going on here is a thought about human life, and you know, uh, let's remember this is what is it, nineteen eighty six? Yep. Uh, we're being really clear about abortion in nineteen eighty six, huh? We're we're really going to make that because no one watching it is like, yeah, save it, Gina. I I just think that you should hold on to that child. Who knows what'll happen? You know what I'm saying? When I was watching, I I couldn't make up my mind whether this was like a pro or anti-choice film. Well, I mean, knowing Cronenberg, he doesn't care. That's it's it's purely a way to heighten the anxiety and to make things difficult. I I would guarantee uh, Cronenberg is the sort of dude that would be pro-choice and then be utterly willing to push the boundaries of what that means and anything he's doing because that's sort of his thing, right? Is that like, I mean, again, I think Cronenberg is pretty pro-sex, but you are right. He uses sex as a site of horror in a lot of his movies. I would argue that uh, the exception being uh, Slither in which... uh, you know, it's great that everyone becomes sex zombies at the end. You mean Shivers? Shivers, my bad, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Slither, just Sli- the movie that seems exactly like Shivers, my bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's a film that, am I right in remembering that, I should have looked this up. This is obviously a remake of The Fly, but I remember reading somewhere that the reason he chose to show the transformation the way he did and at one point have Jeff Goldblum refer to it as like cancer with a purpose. His father was dying of cancer when he was making this movie, if, I, if I'm if i remembering correctly. 
Um, That's entirely possible. I remember reading about this in his book. The it's not his book, but is there's a book called Cronenberg on Cronenberg that just like compiles. Uh, quotes and interviews of him talking about his own work. And I remember this section of the book being really interesting, but I cannot for the life of me remember what was going on. And I probably, apologies to our audience, we should have done a little more research before recording. So don't be mad at us. I, I kind of want to jump back to what we were talking about with is he the same person when he went out or when he went through the telepod. It's like, even when you say like, you know, when you tell someone like you're not, you're not being yourself right now, like you're not yourself. He's acting like someone else. Um, that's kind of like that's kind of what he become he becomes like an entirely different person once he goes through the once he goes through the pods like in every single in every in every not only is he like now not totally human but he also begins acting in ways that he wasn't acting before like part of the appeal of like Seth Brundle part of the reason Gina Davis went home with him that night was because he was so like crazily shy but also like weirdly like quietly confident. Um, like <laughs> when he tells her she should go back to his place and he just does the Jeff Goldblum look at her. Uh, and then like once he becomes like this like fly, like Brundle fly, he goes, he starts down the path to that. He becomes this like crazed, like violent, like unpredictable, unstable person who's like flying off the handle and everything. And he, he, he is, he's not acting like himself anymore. Like he is a different person now that he went through these, uh, these, these telepods. Like um, for what it's worth, when in undergrad, when we were posed with that thought experiment, my answer to it was that like whatever steps out of the teleporter is a qualitatively identical version of whatever went in there. And for the other person, for the original you, that's just personal death. Hmm. So, right. take that for what it's worth. Hmm. Um. Yeah. What else should we talk about with this? It, it's, it's, it's. Talk about how sad it is. Yeah. How, like, it's deeply fucking tragic. It's such an upsetting tragedy of a film. I, I think one of the things that makes it feel almost like gigantically cartoonishly tragic is. The music for this movie sounds like something out of Wagner. Like, it's this, like, grand, melancholy score that really gives the film this, like, classically operatic sense of, like, of tragedy. And it, it, it's... There's something that's, like, so horrifying about... Um, you know, even, even if we look at the film, we don't need to, we don't need to put ourselves in... Jeff Goldblum shoes. Like, let's put ourselves in Gina Davis's shoes. Like, we're watching this person that we love go through something not only like undeniably agonizing and terrifying, but also unspeakably unusual. And like she says, like, we can get you could tell there's one scene where she says, we can get you help. And even the way she says it, you're like, yeah, but how? Like, what what how can you fucking help him? There's, 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 this is, this is a situation that like, it just, there's, there's no way out. And that's like the fuck thing It's like, there's nothing that can be, and I don't, you know, I love the fly too, but I think that ending is kind of like dumb. What, right. you know, how they, yeah. Um, but this is just such a heartbreaking movie. Like, you know, every, every time I watch this, I think at the end when, um, 
you know, when what happens, happens. I always go back earlier to the movie and he's talking about how he, 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 he what made him want to do this was just because he got, like, car sick. And there's just something that's so deeply sad about, like, being car sick is what put him on the path that led him to this, like, fucking horrifying fate. And that just gets me every time. It just it's it's such a sad thing that like all this guy wanted was to not be carsick. And it's incidental that he changed the world. And it just sucks that in the process he became this abomination. Hmm. It's interesting. Cronenberg uh, uh, has talked about how, in a sense, this movie is just really about like uh, two lovers. Um, and one is forced uh, to watch and ultimately help what the one who's sick commit suicide. But like because it's a sci-fi movie with lots of, of, of horror stuff going on, it's okay that he made that movie. But if it was a movie where Jeff Goldblum just has cancer and he can't face it and he just wants Gina to, Davis to help him kill himself, that just wouldn't get made. But that's really what the movie is. That's all it is. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. Hmm. Oh my god! What a what a what a movie! It's it's crazy, and it's it's clearly tapping into stuff. I you know, there's been a lot of theories that the movie is in some way about like AIDS or whatever. I've read about that. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. You know, at least for him, that's not what his intention was. But I do think it, it is about death, and so of course you're going to relate it, considering there was a motherfucking plague going on that half of the country was pretending wasn't happening. Like, obviously, you're going to relate a film about death and sickness to that. But you know, in in the in the uh, his later commentary, he watched it again for the Blu-ray, right? And he was saying how. The movie is much more upsetting to him as an old man than it was when he made it, you know, <laughs> because when he made it, he's exploring these themes, but they don't mean anything to him because he thinks he's going to live forever. And now as an old man, he's like, oh, this is really upsetting. <laughs> and, you know, I, I appreciate that. I think that's telling. Right. I think there's probably yeah. a lot of us who in in art can imagine exploring things, some of which mean a lot to us and some of which we have a comprehension of, but we don't have an aptitude for we don't we we appreciate their height but we don't actually know their depth if you know what i mean and so oh, yeah watching it now him being like fuck you know like uh, my body is falling apart is you know uh it's really interesting to me and, and it's uh, you know what a reminder it, it, in the same way that i think Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an event, but it can be about a lot of different things. What I like about Cronenberg's movies is that every single one of them that I've seen, granted I've never seen Fast Company, but every single one of them that (laughs) I've seen, they are about themselves, and they are clearly about other things. And part of that, of course, is that... um, Cronenberg is notoriously apolitical in his art, you know, to 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 an extent almost to upset people, you know. He's he's yeah. very much of the idea that any large political project is inevitably dehumanizing, uh which I think is a little too nihilistic for my political bents. However, um in making these movies that they root in a big idea, but they're not didactic about that idea he makes movies that make me think about big ideas you know what i mean that if this movie was more directly about death or if videodrome was more directly about 
you know, illusion and politics and whatever, they would be less interesting. It's because they're tied to all these larger themes, but then also there's a lot of goo and fucked up shit that it like it sticks with me more and it creates for me a more fertile ground for thinking about some of these things. Yeah, I mean this this movie could entirely rest on the laurels of goopy bullshit monster at the end. Like you could make a decent horror movie on the visuals of this alone, but like you just said, it, it makes you think about other concepts. It makes you think about um, your body betraying you. Uh, it makes you think about the nature of, you know, like I said, like what is what is what is the self? Like what is uh, how 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 close are we? Is there like inherent an inherent substance that humanity has or that a person has that is more than a collection of qualities? Um, I think this movie says no, but I. Uh, I don't know. It's just like that's the nature of like Cronenberg's work is like it it's it's visually upsetting and it's also like uh intellectually upsetting for whatever reason. You know, I mean like the brood is upsetting because as um someone pointed out on Twitter it's about him wanting to kill his ex-wife. Um it's also about the manifestation of undealt with trauma in our lives and this I, I it just it just I don't know like it it this this film is such a, a perfect intersection of the visually upsetting and then like the utterly heartbreaking and the intellectually stimulating um possibilities in in, in a horror film and he just blends them together perfectly as far as I'm concerned in this film it's just interesting to me because Cronenberg is so a hmm he feels to me like a very detached humanist. Like he's very much like um, not interested in any sort of larger morality in some ways. And yet so no. many of his movies are about, um, you know, scientists or other people flying too close to the sun, you know, that uh, there's something innately in our nature that causes us to push to places maybe we shouldn't. But instead of seeing that as anti-science in a literal way, I really do think like when I think of Cronenberg films, I think of them as being about um, the unlimited potential of humanity and how that's not necessarily a good thing. You know, that that well, the assumption that that moving forward is also progress is one that like our society is kind of built on. You know what I mean? And yet well, again and again, I feel like he's like, or it could be very bad. This could be very bad. Yeah. No. I mean, I I was gonna say what you were talking about is like a, it's it, it's almost like, the idea that there is, that scientists are 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 discovering, they're like you said, flying too close to the sun, um, and that there are certain there's certain knowledge that is like that should be, kept veiled from 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 mankind. It's like. That's like a, a a main component of like Lovecraft, but whereas Lovecraft says like, and that's bad. That's a source of horror. With Cronenberg, I think he's just like, yeah, but what if we did it anyway? Well, I think for him it's inevitable that no matter what you, no matter how yeah. you moralize or how you try to scare people with religion or something else, you know, ideology, they're just gonna do it, and that there will be well, good things and there will be bad things because of that, and you don't get to know. Like I think it's it is the unpredictability of it that I think matters to him so much. Where it's like, 
who knows what's the the telepods if it, if he weren't drunk and insecure about Gina Davis, right? He would have never jumped in that pod and caused this whole situation and maybe the telepods would have transformed humanity, right? Or someone else would have fucked it up and we'd have a different monster on our hands. Who knows? Well, yeah, and 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 the fact that it's like that that humanity is almost uh unable to stop itself with 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 furthering this these ideas that that are presented to it um Cronenberg had nothing to do with the fly too but that movie illustrates a very Cronenbergian Cronenbergian idea in which no matter how bad something is people are still going to do it like in that film it picks up where even though they know what happened to Seth Brundle and even though the birth of his son killed Gina Davis and the son is clearly not human, and they know that putting living things in these telepods just creates these abominations, they're still doing it. Because they, like, even though they know that, like, more often than not, like, um, bad things happen because of this, this technology, it's almost like they're unable to help themselves and in, 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 in that they keep fucking with it. I mean, in that sense, the, the what I find interesting about those movies Cronenberg movies is that they very much are revealing something that's already true like as you're describing the reality of the situation I can't help but think something we referenced earlier which was uh, the behind the bastards episode about Panama right like how long we were using chemical weapons to experiment on soldiers in Panama for years like into the 60s when we knew all this shit really you know what I mean like it's the, 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 the reality is like it's not like he's postulating this is how people could be. He, Him and other people like him are always more showing us a mirror. Like, this is what you actually are like. And you don't see it sometimes. But it's this is yeah. what it actually is. It's not a hypothetical situation. It is exactly what is happening and um, what would happen in, in, in these situations. It's a, it's a, if, if for some reason you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, it is a powerful film. I will say it's not a fun horror movie. And, 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 no, and it's really, I, I don't know that people watch Cronenberg for fun. Like, I don't know how many of his films people are like, let's throw this on at the party. But I think for me, this is an extraordinarily unfun, uh, Cronenberg movie. But I love, I just love it. And I'm still, I'm so impressed by Jeff Goldblum and his performance. Um, oh, the ke- the chemistry between him and Gina Davis is like unbelievable. It's like it's like cavity inducingly sweet. It's so real, and it it, it just it hurts. Just uh, like that. That's uh, sport. Uh, we could sp- like the scene at the end when Brundlefly crawls out of the telepod, and he's like mewling, and he puts the gun against his head like that is. There's just something that is so fucking blackly sad about that. Um, and I really, watching this, one of the things that I, I, I truly appreciate about this, this film this time around was um, when you look at the creature design for the fly, like what Jeff Goldblum turns into at the end, that thing is such a twisted, um, non biologically viable creature that. There's no way it would have lived long. Like, it, it's like, that's the genius of the creature design is that it's very clearly like an accident 
And I think that's like, again, I keep going to the fly too, but in the fly too, apparently the, the intent for the design of the creature in that movie was something that was growing and existing according to its genes and how it was born. Whereas the creature in this movie was something that happened by accident and was just, fuck it, we'll figure it out later and, and, and grow in random shit. Um, and I think that like sort of weird, sad, biologically chaotic aspect of Brundlefly at the end when he's like walking around the, the lab, I never really noticed that before. And when I was watching it now, it's like that thing is, it's so, it's, it, it's unsettling to look at, but it's not scary. It's, it's more like pathetic and um, it, it, it just, it's just a bummer. And then when it, you know, shit gets even worse, I, I, that, that ending is just, it's just, it's, 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 it's up there, honestly, it's up there, like final shots in a movie. It's up there with like an American War of London where I'm like, ah, I don't want to be awake anymore after I watch this movie. I'm just like my 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 night has been ruined. Like I've I've been I've had my heart torn out. This is just sad. Uh, it, it's just it's it's such a it's a movie that we love that doesn't love us back. Essentially, right? Oh man, a ma- a masterpiece. Um, well, we should probably wrap up. I'm sure we can talk more about the fly but uh we've been going for a little bit here but thank you all so much for listening we really appreciate it and if if for some reason you haven't seen it go watch the fly we should do an episode in the future where we do texas chainsaw massacre 2 and the fly 2 uh yeah that's an interesting combo i don't know yeah we can think about that yeah all right so as always thank you for listening um head to patreon.com backslash cinepunks if you are interested in donating to our Patreon, also check out our sponsors. We have Valley Apparel Creation at www.xlvacx and Essex Coffee Roasters at www.essexcoffeeroasters.com. Um, you can find the LVAC on the social medias at the underscore LVAC. You can follow us. You can find Essex Coffee Roasters at, I think it's Essex Coffee on, on Twitter. I have no idea. Yeah, but... Go to their website first. They have great coffee. Amazing coffee. Talk us sour coffee. So much coffee. Have, so much coffee. Oh my god. It's like it's like the song uh it's undoing ruin. Oh my god. Oh stop. God, so stop. Good. Oh god, it's so good. So sedacious, so secure. Have you heard that? The finish is amazing. Um you can <laughs> I hate myself sometimes. Um you can find us on, on uh the social medias at the Harbiz six six six. Uh and until next time, fuck the seven Democrats that uh, voted against raising the minimum wage to $15. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Peace. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telpomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! Hey!